From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest LPL Market Signals podcast. Jeff Bookbarn here, your regular host. Back this week with my friend and colleague, Lawrence Gillum. Lawrence, how are you today? Oh, I'm doing good, Jeff. It's, uh, it's hard to believe it's already December, though. How's the shopping coming so far? My wife take cares of take care of all that. Uh, I I get a lot of Amazon boxes every day, so I I'm gonna go ahead and say it's we're doing good there. Excellent, excellent. I uh, I chip in a little bit, but yeah, my wife does a lot of that too. So uh, we are uh, well on our way uh, to finishing all of that. So uh, hopefully everybody's having a nice start to the holiday season and um, are ready for uh, you know things to slow down a bit. Um, Things have not slowed down for the market, uh, that's for sure, although maybe they will here over the next uh, you know, few weeks. we got a lot of gains to digest. Um, so here's our agenda for this week. It's um, Monday, December 4th, 2023, as we're recording this. Um, so stocks are down a little bit this afternoon. Um, we are uh, going to start by recapping last week, as we always do, a five-week win streak for the S&P 500 and actually the NASDAQ. Uh, so uh, up something like 12% off the lows, really nice rally. Uh, but at this point, stocks are a little bit overbought and probably need to take a breather. Uh, next favorable risk reward in the bond market, Lawrence, that's your section. So uh, I'll be looking forward to hearing from you about why I should still like bonds, even though the yields are not quite as high as they were uh, a couple months back. Uh, next um, weekly market commentary for this week, I just call it, you know, falling inflation supporting soft landing, but it, it really, the weekly commentary, which you can find on LPL.com, uh, makes the case that you can still embrace risk here. The economic foundation, um, according to Jeffrey Roach, and I agree with him, is strong enough uh, to support further gains for stocks. And of course, we're still in this positive seasonal period. Uh, and then last, of course, preview the week ahead, the economic calendar is quite busy. But no doubt the job support will be the focus. So um, here's the uh, returns for last week. Um, you know, another uh, positive week for the S&P, up 0.8%. So that's five straight weekly gains. Uh, and uh, the, actually, I don't have the year-to-date return here, but it's 21.5% total return uh, for the S&P. So it just continues to be a really, really strong year. Uh, and if you boil it down to any one thing, it's probably just, again, that soft landing which ties into the Fed getting ready to potentially cut rates. Lawrence will tell me if I have misspoke there, but that is certainly the market's expectation at this point. Uh, the um, you know the international markets came along for the ride. I think, generally speaking, not Hong Kong or China, but the European uh, markets and um, uh, some of the international markets outside of Europe, uh, strong week for Asia, for uh, India, Australia uh, was higher, Korea higher. So all in all, he ended up with, you know, gains for um, all the major international indexes, but, uh, you know, nothing barn burning. The um, sector mix was a a little more interest rate sensitive, I guess, than anything else. So, um, you know, that's what explains, I think, the real estate strength last week, up about 5% there. Utilities outperformed up 1.3%. Uh, and, um, you know, I just I would say that the cyclical sectors were kind of scattered 
you know, throughout the performance uh, rankings. Good to see industrials and materials do well. Of course, those are cyclical, but oil continues uh, to struggle and um, that weighed on the energy sector, uh, which was one of the losers. And then comm services, which is where uh, Meta and Alphabet are, that's a huge chunk of that sector. You know, those stocks were down and that weighed on on that sector, which is a little bit of a high beta, uh, economically sensitive type uh, sector. So um, I think that's all I'll say there. Let's go to bonds, uh, Lawrence. So why were stocks up last week? You know, my answer, I think, I mean, I, I mentioned the soft landing is certainly part of this this rally. But if you just, you know, hone in on last week alone, I think the biggest reason stocks were up was because yields were down. Yeah, yields were down uh, and they and they continue to fall and they've fallen quite a bit over the last, call it month and a half. Uh, certainly since mid-October, we've seen about a 0.75% retracement in the 10-year treasury yield. Uh, certainly that's helped equities and it's also helped fixed income as well. Uh, so last week, good week for most fixed income sectors, the core bond index, the aggregate bond index up 2%. Uh, that was led by mortgage-backed securities. Uh, uh, that's uh, been a favorite of ours for a little while here, so it's good to see the outperformance. Uh, you know, even if it's only a week or two, it's good to see those AAA rated securities outperform their lower rated, uh, higher risk uh, brethren. Uh, Treasury's up one point seven percent, but even if you look at the kind of the riskier segments within the fixed income markets, then uh, this points to that narrative about the the soft softish landing. We're we're not seeing any sort of disruption in spreads. So high yield bonds up about another 1.3%. And then nine US bonds were up one and a half to 2% last week as well. So it was a, it's been a good week, good month. Uh, and because of the, the monthly returns that we saw over the past month, over the, the November performance for November, we got uh, returns for the year that were in, in positive territory now for fixed income. Not quite the year of the bond that a, a lot of people were expecting to come into this year, uh, but that that uh, really good November did help push year-to-date returns positive for a lot of these fixed income sectors, which is uh, certainly something that we're, 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 you know, excited about. Yeah, and the year's not over, so, you know, maybe we'll see a little bit more uh, gains for, for bonds over the next month. We'll see. Uh, so, um, yeah, I guess you know, mortgage-backed securities, you mentioned that we we like, um, not as interested in high yield here, right, Lawrence, because of the valuations? Yeah, it's all valuations. I mean, if you look at just the additional compensation for owning riskier debt, it's really below uh, longer-term averages. So you're really not getting compensated to take on a lot of risk in the fixed income markets, in our view. Uh, returns have been fine. We just think that, uh, you know, there's there's the potential to see spreads widen. Uh, and, um, you know, that's certainly going to negatively impact returns. Plus, you can get similar type returns out of higher quality fixed income assets. So our view is why take the risk if you don't have to? Yeah, absolutely. And those strong returns for, you know, the more interest rate sensitive, high quality bonds like Treasury certainly points to how powerful that that rate, uh, you know, tumble was last week. That was that was big. And I think, well, you, we'll show you the 10 year chart here in a minute. but something like 70 basis points in a month. <laughs> that's a that's a big move. So good for bonds. Um, the uh, commodity side, I think, you know, the, the stock market's five-week winning streak is a big story today, but I think also the all-time high for gold. Uh, I saw a quote of 2130. So gold's had a really strong run. You know, people don't think about it as an interest rate sensitive 
uh, asset, but but it is. And you know, there's an opportunity cost to holding gold because you don't get any income from it. So, you know, when rates rise, gold can struggle. Of course, rates went down last week a lot, and that reduced that cost of holding gold. Plus, you have you know the re-escalation of um, uh, the war in Gaza, and that is uh, probably a little bit of an underpinning of uh, precious metals demand, I would say. So, uh, and then on the other side, I mentioned the oil decline. I mean, I, I don't think this OPEC plus uh, meeting was quite what the energy bulls had hoped for, because <laughs> it's these are optional OPEC plus cuts. So we, we might not get much more than maybe we were getting before in terms of what the Saudis are doing. So uh, uh, the, the demand side is just not good enough yet to turn oil higher. And, um, you know, the supply is maybe disappointed uh, a little bit. But that's good for the consumer, obviously good for consumer spending. Prices lower at the pump. Uh, so quick look at the S&P 500. I mean, this this test of 4,600 is, is going to be tough, uh, we think. So Adam Turnquist suggests, uh, you know, our technical strategist, that the, this might take a few attempts. Uh, so maybe the weakness today on Monday is the first failed attempt. We'll have to see. Uh, but um, if you can get through 4,600, you're looking at 4,800, you know, without a whole lot of resistance uh, between those two points. Uh, Adam highlighted, um, you know, 4,632 as an area of a little uh, resistance. And then it's, you know, north of 4,700, 4,700 to 4,725, a little bit of resistance. Uh, but um, I think a lot of folks are looking at that 4,800 if we get through 46. Uh, the um, the rallies had good breadth with it. You can see here the percent of stocks within the S&P that are above their 50 and 200-day moving averages uh, up nicely recently. We're at 85% above the 50 and 67% above the 200. Those are really good numbers. So this isn't just the MAG-7. In fact, the MAG-7 uh, lagged a little bit last week as a group. So um, yeah, I mentioned the um, alphabet and meta weakness. So um, this is really, you know, the other 493 stocks working, uh, which is good to see. It's a sign of a healthy bull market. Uh, and then, uh, but then the other side of this is, yeah, we're a little bit overbought, you know, with over 30% of stocks of the S&P over the 70 RSI level that uh, characterizes overbought. Uh, another reason why we think we got to maybe take a little bit of a breather. So um, let's take uh, a look at the bond market, Lawrence. Of course, main reason you are here. Um, so Adam has flagged this 10-year treasury yield reverse, or actually it's an actual head and shoulders, not a reverse head and shoulders. The bond market is a reverse head and shoulders and yields are head and shoulders. Uh, so, um, you know, we broke through this 435 number that um, that was key. I guess it's a Fibonacci number, but it was also um, previous, I, I guess a previous high. Um, where do you think these yields go from here? Um, do we have much downside or is kind of this rally played out for now? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll leave the technical analysis to Adam. He's certainly the expert there. Uh, from my perspective, it looks like we are maybe a little bit long in the tooth in this rally uh, because of, of the expectation of rate cuts that have been priced into markets. If you look, go back to October 19th, when the 10-year Treasury yield hit around uh, a little over 5%, since then, 
The yields are down about 75 basis points, 0.75%. And now markets are expecting a Fed funds rate right around 4% from the 5.5% upper bound currently. So a lot of rate hikes, or I'm sorry, rate cuts are getting priced into the market. Maybe one or two too many. Our our view is that uh, that you know perhaps the the Fed funds rate at the end of next year will be around four and a half percent. So uh, markets may be a little bit too aggressive here in pricing in cuts, but uh, nonetheless, it it is it has been a, a good rally. It has been um, uh, something that that is long was long overdue given the fact that we did see uh, yields touch five percent in our view. A lot of that sell-off in, in rates back in September, October was was overdone. Now we think some of this rally here is is probably overdone as well. It wouldn't surprise me to see a consolidation at current levels. Our end-of-year target for the 10-year Treasury yield still is that 425 to 475. I think we're going to stay in that range, probably 425 to, you know, call it 450 over the course of the next couple of weeks until we get into um, the, the the new year. But um, Certainly, the the rally that we've seen over the last month and a half has been impressive. Oh yeah, no doubt. Um, so we get some key data in the next couple of weeks that will probably have a lot to do with where yields go from here. So uh, yeah, kind of like the stock market. I mean, remember, stocks and yields have been inversely correlated. So if the yield move lower has played itself out, then you you know could argue that maybe the stock move higher uh, has played itself out as well in the short term. Uh, we're still neutral equities, which is where we've been for the past few months, which is essentially saying people we think people should fully invest relative to target. Um, but uh, at the same time, we acknowledge that stocks are a little bit expensive relative to our assessment of fair value. And then again, we've got some overbought conditions to work on. So um, thanks for that, Lawrence. Let's keep moving and go to, um, you know, I guess... Um, you know, the point I made on the on the agenda was that bonds look like they have a favorable risk reward. But you, you know, you've expressed that point by saying that the asymmetric, you know, the returns are asymmetric. So what exactly do you mean yeah. by that? So in our view, asymmetric means that there's more, uh, there's higher potential for upside returns than there is for downside for returns or for for, for losses. Uh, now that we have higher start, uh, starting yields. So what we're looking at here is what we call hurdle rates. And this is the change in yields that we'd have to see to experience a negative return over a 12-month horizon to offset 12 months of income for these various asset classes. So it's becoming increasingly challenging, not impossible, nothing's impossible, of course, but increasingly challenging to generate negative returns given where we are in terms of yield levels, particularly for short to intermediate type asset classes within the fixed income markets. For example, if you were to own a, a two-year treasury security, for example, Yields would need to almost or more than double from current levels uh, to, to generate a, a negative loss, uh, given the, the starting yields. Corporates, the intermediate corporate uh, uh, asset class yields would need to go up by about one and a half percent to get to a negative total return over a 12 month horizon. The risk reward isn't as favorable the longer you go out on the, the yield curve. So we've cautioned about going too far out on the yield curve. But one of the, the reasons why we've had an overweight fixed income allocation relative to cash is because we do think the asymmetric returns are, are better for kind of this short to, to intermediate parts of the the uh, the fixed income universe. Um, the, the long treasury trade, I know a lot of people talk about TLT, which we're not, no recommendations there. Uh, but a lot of people talk about those those uh, securities. I just I would caution, or we would caution, the risk reward for that type of trade still isn't that great. 
long end yields only need to go up by about 0.3% uh, to generate a loss. So that's it's not very attractive in our view, but short certainly the short to intermediate part of the the, uh, the 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 yield curve, the treasury yield curve, or the corporate curve uh, look pretty attractive and and have a favorable risk return profile in in, in our view. Yeah, that, that's really remarkable, Lawrence. That yields could go up, you know, for example, in the intermediate corporate space could go up that much, and you can still break even. Um, you know, yeah, I agree. You don't want to say something's impossible, but you know, a yield going from four and a half to six just doesn't seem likely in a 12 month horizon too so i mean the probability of that yeah. it's not zero but we do think it's pretty low uh sure. so it, it's yeah. i mean just the the risk reward uh, you know profile for fixed income has improved dramatically so even though yields have fallen a lot uh we still think that there's a lot of value in fixed income yeah maybe it's more like five to six and a half but whatever it is hopefully we didn't say you know it was impossible for yields to get to five when they were at three a year ago <laughs> um, so uh, this is the same concept, Lawrence, right? I'm just showing people the actual potential returns in these indexes, uh, depending on what happens with rates, right? That's exactly right. So we've shown this before in other uh, publications, but uh, again, this speaks to the favorable risk uh, return environment for bonds that if if interest rates don't change over the course of the next 12 months, you know, you're generally expected to get your starting yields. Your starting yields for those various asset classes are in those that dark blue shaded column there. But if rates fall by about half a percent, I mean, it's it's conceivable that you can generate uh, high single digit, low double digit type returns for high quality fixed income assets. And then importantly, we think is that if, if rates continue to move higher, uh, absent November which when they fell. But if rates move higher from current levels, they can go as high as about another percent from current levels. And you're you're largely breaking even for a lot of these fixed income asset classes, uh, but still generating positive returns for mortgage-backed securities uh, and intermediate corporate. So again, it, it all speaks to the risk-reward trade-off. And right now, the, the uh, return potential out of fixed income, given where starting yields are and uh, and and the the current interest rate environment, again, we think the Fed is likely done. So we don't expect rates to go significantly higher from current levels. But if they do, there is that uh, cushion there that can offset the higher rates and uh, and help fixed income investors generate, you know, positive returns. Yeah, you, you gave me a good segue there because one of the reasons that we think the Fed is done is because inflation keeps coming down. And so that's the... Um, you know, that's the uh, first chart in the weekly market commentary this week from Jeffrey Roach showing the path from essentially red to green. It hasn't been a straight line, you know, for really any of these categories. But you've seen you saw a lot of red in you know February of last year when this or earlier this year, February of 2023, when this table begins and you just move forward, um, you know, over the what is that eight month period and 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 you get to a much better place. So uh, to me, the most interesting thing about this is this super core. So, you know, the core PCE deflator is the Fed's preferred uh, inflation measure, right? And that's at 3% now. But if you take out um, food, energy and housing, okay, so it's core just takes out food and energy. You take out food, energy and housing, which has been stubbornly, uh, you know, kind of sticky, right? 
um, you uh, you know you're still at close to four. However, if you look at the month over month, that's a year over year number. If you look month over month, it's only up 0.15%. It was up much more in September. So that is a really nice, this is why the market, the bond market celebrated uh, this number, right? Um, a sharp slowdown in that super core reading on a month over month basis. And in fact, uh, the Fed's preferred measure, just straight core PCE, I think on a six month annualized basis is only up about two and a half percent. So the Fed, if if that was all that mattered was that measure, the Fed would, could, could basically declare victory now. And this is why you're, you're even hearing it from Powell and you're hearing it from a hawk waller, you know, um, at the Fed. The um, this is playing out exactly as they anticipated or had hoped. And um, they're not going to come out and say they're going to declare victory, but you can kind of read between the lines of what they're saying. Um, it's it's highly, highly unlikely uh, that they would hike rates again over the next few months. And, you know, they may not cut March, which the market's starting to say they will, but, you know, probably by summer um, we'll have a cut, uh, maybe two. So anything to add to that, Lawrence? Well, I think your point about the the annual versus taking shorter uh, horizons and annualizing that is an important one because as we see on this chart, these inflationary pressures are falling. So these year over year things that we're showing here, these year over year numbers here are overstating the actual numbers likely. So if you do take a three month uh, horizon and annualize that or a six month horizon and you annualize that, you probably get a better picture of the current inflationary dynamics and those have improved significantly over the over the past couple months. So. Uh, no, I, I agree that it's it's certainly moving in the right direction. Um, we'll get a new, uh, there's a Fed meeting next week. We'll get a new uh, summary of economic projections, which will include like dot plots and things like that, as well as their their forecast for inflation and growth. And we're likely going to see uh, a, a, a drawdown in inflation expectations over the course of next year and, and uh, potentially, a, a, you know, more cuts in their dot plot than what was uh, what was uh, shown last September. So uh, yeah, a lot of great news in the markets, and certainly bond market has has taken that in stride, and and equity markets have have rallied. So a lot of good news here. Oh no doubt. Hopefully we don't have to, you know, talk about the unwinding of rate cut expectations in the next month or two, <laughs> but but at some point. Uh, you know, you might get a little bit of bomb volatility around that. We'll we'll have to uh, wait and see. But inflation clearly moving in the right direction. Um, and that last stubborn piece, the housing is, you know, by all accounts, apartment rents are coming down really nicely based on the real-time uh, metrics that we get. You know, these inflation numbers are a little bit stale, a month old plus. So um, this, this next chart from the uh, weekly um, uh, that Jeffrey Roach did is about how good spending has kind of gotten out over its skis and services spending maybe has only a little bit more upside. So what this tells you is that even though we had the booming GDP growth in Q3, the economy is slowing in Q4. It's probably still going to grow, but slowing. And then, um, you know, that's kind of sets a, sets a table for slower growth in 2024, right? You're not going to, we, we've kind of seen this services spending boom play out. You know, the the post-COVID recovery, we're almost a trend, not quite, but real close. And then goods, we've, we've just gone way over trend and probably need to cool a little bit. Um, the um, inflation picture kind of mirrors that 
because um, you know, good spending needs to slow has you know needs to come down, and the inflation for good spending has already come down. In fact, it's it's negative year over year. Um, I'm sorry, it was negative month over month, even though it's slightly positive uh, year over year. That 0.2 percent. So the the battle against goods inflation is already over. It's been won. It's about that services piece, but the Actually, this is on a six-month basis, which is better. The six-month change in services inflation is is 1.8. So that's below the Fed's 2% target. So the last month was, again, that last month's reading of inflation, really, really good. Um, We just need a little bit more on the services side. So um, Jeff did a nice job of, you know, making some points about, about asset allocation and investment opportunities. Uh, and tying those to the economic conditions. So uh, one way he did that is is with this chart. This shows uh, market stress by region. The ECB has regional market stress indicators. It's kind of like the financial conditions index, which I know we've talked about uh, on this call in the past, or just in general, when the Fed you know, cuts rates, they are easing financial conditions in general, or when banks are lending more you know, easing their terms, that's sort of an easing of financial conditions. So we've talked about financial conditions in that respect. This is similar, right? The similar concept. So um, what you see here is that at least in recent months, uh, the US has had less market stress than Europe and the UK. We didn't put Asia on here, but just US, uh, UK, and EU. EU in the orange is up top. Certainly the uh, war in Ukraine is part of that story and higher energy costs over there, another part of that story. And they've also had a little bit of a tougher time bringing down inflation, although the last readings there were were quite good. So maybe you could, in fact, Lawrence, I, I'd like your thoughts on this. Some are arguing now that the ECB is going to cut before the Fed, which, you know, most people would have thought just a few months ago that that was impossible, <laughs> right? Uh so maybe you know, give give Europe credit. Um, they have, you know, cut rates pretty aggressively, just like we have, and they've brought inflation down. What do you think? Yeah, for sure. I mean, and this is just it's it's really it's not a, a U.S. dynamic as as we've talked about. I mean, inflation globally is coming down in a lot of places. We are starting to see central banks start to cut rates now. There's actually been more rate cuts over the last couple of months than there have been rate hikes. Uh, so what all the aggressive rate hiking that's taken that's taken place over the last couple of years, we're starting to see it slowly unwind, which is a good thing for consumers. It's good for the uh, the, the economy, of course. It's good for equity markets, good for fixed income markets. Uh, you know, I I, I don't want to I mean, I'm not going to say, uh, you know, mission accomplished or declare victory too soon. But certainly inflationary pressures are moving in the right direction. Uh, and um, and, you know, it, it it's it's done what it was supposed to do all these central banks rose rates to to slow economies and that's happened and and you know it, it it's it's performing as expected right inflation is coming down because of the response out of central banks yeah absolutely we've got to watch financial conditions if they get too easy as the prices move high too high too fast <clears throat> that could scare the fed a little bit so again not not declaring victory but this is this is good news that this financial stress uh, has come down, improved a little bit here over the last uh, uh, you know month or so, uh, with the 
rally in the in the equity markets and the move lower in yields. So um, let's turn to the preview for the the week, the economic calendar, Lawrence, and then we'll uh, we'll wrap up. Thanks for all those comments on uh, on bonds and inflation. So um, I think that the jobs report is by far and away the most important thing we're going to watch this week. Um, we're, we're, I think we're going to take the under on this. You know, 190 um, might be a bit high. Um, in fact, I've seen several forecasts that are below that from uh, economists that I follow and Jeffrey Roach among them. He thinks maybe we'll be more like 150. So um, that that's not necessarily bad for markets, right? Could put some downward pressure on yields. And um, clearly the equity market wants to see uh, lower yields. Uh, the um, average hourly earnings matters. Right, because that's the wage number, which is a big piece of inflation. Actually, consensus is reflecting a little bit of an uptick, uh, 0.2 last month to 0.3 this month. So hopefully, we will see a 0.2, and the market can celebrate that. Um, we'll we'll just have to wait and see. Um, but that's going to be the next milestone, I guess, that rates have to cross uh, to um, kind of solidify this this downtrend. Then you get the Fed meeting and and. CPI after that. So anything else here, Lawrence, that you think is worth worth noting? Uh, I put I highlighted ISM services on, on one of my reports this morning. I just because this the services sector continues to be um you know looked at in terms of inflationary pressures. So we'll see if how that performs. Um it's still one of the areas that is that is growing, that it's not in contraction, unlike the manufacturing side. But uh, but no, the jobs report is going to be the is is the it's a big report. I'll also say what's not on here is important as well for markets, and that's there's no Fed speak this week. We're in the blackout period for Fed speak. So um over the past couple of weeks, there's been, gosh, you know, double digit type meeting or uh, speaking engagements for Fed officials. And it's just it creates so much volatility in markets when they're all out there talking and saying potentially different things. So it's the quiet period, which is good. Uh, so hopefully that that means less volatility this week in markets, knock on wood. Hopefully I didn't just uh, just didn't jinx us there. But um, but yeah, jobs and and, uh, and and ISM services, I think, are are important things to watch this week. Yeah, if we uh, if we want to drive our uh, listenership down and our viewership down, all we do need to do is do a podcast that says Fed speak, nothing else. Just do thirty minutes of Fed speak. That uh, that that's my idea there, which maybe we'll table. Yeah, I I I don't like that idea. So, um, but yeah, it it really matters even to equities when a hawk speaks like a dove, and that's kind of what we saw last week with with uh with with Waller. So yeah, I agree. I have some services is important. Services is a bigger part of the economy than manufacturing. Manufacturing's been weak. The ISM manufacturing's been weak, but it hasn't mattered, right? We all know what the stock market's been doing. Uh the economy is more service oriented and um you know, I guess we kind of priced in manufacturing weakness already. So uh you know, that's that's not alarming. It's not a terrible number. It's not quite recessionary. The ISM manufacturing in the 46, 47 range, uh, but service is much better. Expected to uptick to 52.3. Uh, that's a pretty good, you know, clearly expansionary number. And that's really all this market needs, I think, to go higher next year is just a little bit of economic growth, maybe just skirt by recession, keep inflation low and rates down. Um, we'll certainly make many more comments about that, about 2024 in the, in the 2024 outlook, which we will be coming out with next week. 
So maybe the Fed meeting isn't the biggest event next week, Lawrence. Maybe it's the LPL Research 2024 Outlook. I bet um, they're going to read our Outlook before they actually convene in their meeting just to see what we think. Yeah, maybe that could guide the uh, the commentary from the Fed. That's a great point. I, we can't give them an advanced copy. Um, you know, I know they get some of the economic data in advance, but no, we're not doing that with our Outlook. That's We're going to keep that one close to the vest, and uh, they'll have to just adjust their schedule around us. <laughs> Good stuff. All right. So, yeah, I, the only other thing I want to call out here real fast is uh, claims did rise last week uh, quite a bit. So there's a little bit of, you know, we're talking about cracks, right? There's little signs of tiny cracks in the economy. Continuing claims is another one of those. Um, but uh, we want the economy to slow here to get the Fed off our back and get inflation down and rates down. So uh, that isn't alarming um at all this is really what we expected the fed wouldn't admit it but they were trying to bring unemployment up a little bit uh, they haven't done much damage yet i mean we're still under four percent so um soft landing still in play uh so with that we'll go ahead and wrap um, thanks lawrence for joining another market signals podcast thanks everybody for listening hopefully we'll be back with you next week talking about a six-week win streak for the S&P 500. We'll uh, have to wait and see. Everybody have a great week and uh, we'll see you then. This material was provided by LPL Financial, is for general information only, and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. There is no assurance that the views or strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Any economic forecasts set forth in the podcast may not develop as predicted and are subject to change. References to markets, asset classes, and sectors are generally regarding the corresponding market index. All indexes are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Index performance is not indicative of the performance of any investment. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and broker-dealer, member FINRA and SIPC insurance products are offered through LPL or its licensed affiliates. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered investment advisor that is not an LPL affiliate, please note LPL makes no representation with respect to such entity. If your financial professional is located at a bank or credit union, please note that the bank or credit union is not registered as a broker-dealer or investment advisor. These products and services are being offered through LPL or its affiliates, which are separate entities from and not affiliates of the bank or credit union. Securities insurance offered through LPL or its affiliates are not insured by the FDIC or NCUA or any government agency, not bank or credit union guaranteed, not bank or credit union deposit or obligations, and may lose value.